You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. BK said all kinds of nice things about me, and um, I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I am honored to be here. If, as, uh, as VK said, because I work for the convention, it'll be 18 years that I've served with the convention this September, so I get to have really cool titles, right? I cool titles, like, you know, Associate Executive Director is a cool title. Uh, Chief Financial Officer is a cool title. I will tell you this, and uh, VK served on our executive board for five years and was amazing. So when I say there are other titles that I like better than associate executive director and chief financial officer, please don't make my boss, Michael Crawford, upset. But here's what I'm going to tell you, the titles that I appreciate better. Um, I've been married to an amazing woman. We just celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary on the 2nd of June, just a few days ago. Her name, her name is Shelly, and um, so one of the titles that I pray that God would confer upon me would be loving husband. That means more to me than my professional titles. I have three boys, um, JT, Jake, and Jimmy. My youngest is Jimmy. He's 20 years old. He's nonverbal, um, has severe autism and other developmental challenges. Uh, for about four and a half years, he was very violent. Um, in and out of long-term medical institutions, and God has lifted that violence from him, so praise God, he's no longer violent. I would say that another title that I would value more than my cool work titles, hopefully God would confer on me, is devoted father. I deeply, deeply love my family. I do. I wanted to share that with you. I, I wanted to say that because a lot of times when a, when a representative from a state convention comes and talks to a church, you know, they get these cool titles, and, you know, they're up there talking, and I want you to know that I struggle just like all of you. Share pain, share heartache, share struggle, but just like all of you, I know that God is bigger than all of that. Like, God is bigger than all of that. And I don't know what you're going through, but I know you're going through something. And the good news is, God knows it. Um, now, I can't do anything about what you're going through, but you know who can? It's God. Amen? So we're going we're gonna to look at a sp- small section of Scripture, just three verses this morning, and we're going to examine a man that was also going through something. I'm going to read these verses out of the uh, NIV version of God's Word. Follow along in, in the version you have in front of you. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word and it's truth. It's inerrant and everlasting truth. Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who came to earth fully God and fully man, performed miracles, loved like no person that's walked the earth has ever loved before. And he was brutally and savagely beaten. 
He suffered, died, and was buried, but rose again from the dead, demonstrating and validating that he is who he says he is, the Almighty Son of God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you have free reign to touch hearts and change lives this morning, and I pray that everything that is said and done brings glory and honor to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to make a number of points out of this text. One, the man that was affected by leprosy took a risk. So I want us to take a deeper look into how leprosy was viewed in this culture at this time. Because a lot of times we read the Bible and we read it very clinically and we don't give a lot of thought to what's happening. So if you were affected by leprosy at this time, the rules were spelled out in Leviticus. If you were a Jew and these rules were clear, they they were clear, the affected person would have to go see the priest. And if the person was found to have leprosy, verses 45 and 46 in Leviticus 13 would detail what this person had to do. And those verses said, anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes. Let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So I want us to consider what this man was going through. He would have been an outcast. It's what he would have been. He would have been viewed by society as a threat. And he had to, he had to identify by doing certain things like wearing torn clothes, having ratty hair, you know, those sorts of things. This is what he would have to do. He would have been viewed as a person with little to no value, forced to live in segregation. That's, that's what was happening to him, and that's what any individual in this culture with leprosy faced. Now, it gets worse, and you know, all of us are familiar with you know, the last couple years with COVID, right? So it gets worse, so because in this culture many people actually believed that leprosy was a curse from God on individuals for sins that they committed. No, if you look in John 9, you'll, you'll find an account that I'm not preaching on today where the disciples and Jesus come across a man who was blind from birth, and what do the disciples immediately ask Jesus? Who sinned? Did he sin? or his parents' sin. And remember, the disciples were sitting under the teachings of Jesus. Jesus points out to them it wasn't that anyone sinned. It was that so the power of God could be seen in him. But in in that culture, that feeling of this happened to you, so you must have done something wrong, was pervasive. So people feared individuals affected by leprosy. Just like you wouldn't want severe COVID, these folks didn't want leprosy. Does that make sense? They didn't want it. And a lot of people hated them. They hated the lepers. They didn't like the people that were affected by leprosy. And in fact, a person affected by leprosy wasn't allowed to come any closer than six feet to his or her own family. And you thought six feet was just the CDC. So this has its roots 
in Scripture and back in this culture that a person affected by leprosy wasn't allowed to come any closer than six feet to his or her own family, and they were forced to live with others that had their same condition and in these colonies, in these leper colonies. So just imagine this. No love from your family. You can't hug or kiss your spouse anymore. You can't see your spouse anymore. There's no cell phones. There's no videos you can send. There's no postal service. There's none of that. There's no contact. You're hated by society because they're scared of you. Because you're carrying something that they don't want. You weren't even viewed as a person affected by leprosy. You were considered something less than human. You were considered to be a leper. So understand. So when we look at this text, understand that the person that had leprosy that approached Jesus took a big-time risk, took an incredible risk. Scripture records in verse 1 that large crowds were following Jesus. So what the person affected by leprosy did was not done in secret. There was no secret meeting with Jesus. There was none of that. There were lots of witnesses, lots of people that would have been afraid to be anywhere near this person because they didn't want what he had. In a matter of speaking, because of what was spelled out in Leviticus 13, you could say that this person bent the rules. Would you agree? Bent the rules. You see, he knew one thing, that there was this person named Jesus that had the power to heal him, and he probably felt he'd never get another chance. So what does the Bible say about risk? Is this the only passage in the Bible that references risk? The Bible is full of accounts of risk. And one of the most famous accounts is found in Matthew chapter 14, and that's the account of Peter walking on water. Say, we know the story, right? Jesus made the disciples get into a boat, and to go out ahead of him to the other side of the river, he dismisses the crowd, Jesus goes to pray on a mountainside. The boat's out there, and suddenly this bad storm comes. We know the story. So Jesus starts walking on the water out to the boat, and the disciples freak out because they think it's a ghost. But Jesus says, don't be scared, it's me. And what does impulsive Peter do? Anyone remember? Impulsive Peter says... If it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. So what does Jesus do? Come on. Okay. So Peter starts walking on the water. Do you think Peter took a risk? Like, if you don't, go out and try to walk on water. Okay, and see what happens. So he's walking on water, but he takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to realize that he shouldn't in his humanity be able to do this. And he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. Peter took a risk. Jesus says, come, go ahead and walk on water. 
Peter does it. He's literally walking on water. But he becomes afraid, loses faith, sees what's around him, and his flesh tells him it's impossible, and he's in trouble, and he's sinking. He cries out to Jesus, not just save me, but Lord save me, acknowledging that he's Lord, and Jesus saves him. So turning back to the account of the man affected by leprosy, he's approaching Jesus. He's climbing over obstacles. He's moving to the person that he knows is Lord and he believes can heal him. Understand, he's feared. He's hated. He's an outcast from society and he's treated as less than human. And he's doing this in front of a lot of people, but he knows that Jesus can heal him so it's worth the risk. Just think about what he's doing. Now I want to make a second point. The man that was affected by leprosy worshipped Jesus. In in the first half of Matthew 8, 2, the Bible says, the man with leprosy came and knelt before him. So I don't know if Pastor Dan ever does Greek words. I I don't know if he ever does them, but can we do one? Just one Greek word. Can we do that? So the Greek word that we're going to look at today is a word called proskunio, and that's what's found in the text. Now, the definition of proskunio means to kiss. Okay, now, it's not like you're thinking when you go kiss your spouse. It's like a dog licking the hand of its master. That's what it is. It's very slobbery. It's very messy. It's a way that none of us would really want to be kissed, but if we have a dog, we know what that feels like. And also, or to like crouch, to prostrate oneself in homage, to throw themselves before somebody, to worship them. This is what proscunio means. So understand, so understand the man didn't just stroll up to Jesus and take one knee like he was doing a marriage proposal and gently ask him if Jesus would heal him. This isn't what's happening here. Almost certainly he would have thrown himself on the ground, prostrate in intense and passionate pleading. There's nothing happening here that's unemotional. He's lost everything. He's risking everything. And proscunio is this word that communicates intense, passionate pleading. Also, the whole like, when you have leprosy and you're slobbering and stuff, this is kind of, would freak me out, right? Like if I was on the receiving end, that would kind of freak me out. This man is climbing over everything he's been told about his condition, about where he's supposed to be. You're supposed to be there. You're not supposed to be here. You're not supposed to be in front of Jesus. Stay away. This is an extremely intense and emotional encounter. And he worships in his passionate way. Proscunio is indicating that he's worshiping. So I thought about this, and it caused me to think about something, and that is, what kind of worship does God really want from you? What kind of worship does God really want from me? 
What kind of worship does God really want from Village Church? What kind of worship does God want from his people? Does God really care if a church or an individual doesn't have the best singing voice? Does God really care? Does, does God really care if you can't hold a tune? Does God really care if you can't sing like maybe the famous opera star, Luciano Pavarotti? Does God really care? Now, I'm going to date myself here because I am 56. Does God really care if you can't play the guitar like Eddie Van Halen? Does God really care? So often in church, we want our worship to be perfect. We want our showtime to go off without a hitch. But the worship that really pleases God isn't ultimately about the show. And it's ultimately, ultimately not about how talented we think we are. It has nothing to do with that. The truth is that God's word says that what he really wants more than something that's put together well is he really wants something that's broken and repentant. That's what God wants. There's nothing that we can bring to God that is better than God. Nothing. He wants us to bring ourselves to him in recognition that we're broken. That we don't have it all together. That we need him. I am not speaking against excellence. So don't go tell Pastor Dan the worship team doesn't have to practice anymore. Don't tell him that. I didn't say that. In fact, I enjoyed the worship. I did. But we need to remember the right motivation and what God really honors. And so therefore, God excludes no one from worship. No one. I pray that if I brought my son Jimmy to Village Church and he was in the back making noises and jumping around because he can't talk and worshiping in his own way, that you all would be fine with that. And the reason why I pray that is because he's talking to God, not any of us. You know, he's worshiping God. Psalm 51, verses 15 through 17 says, Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You, you do not delight in sacrifice, or, you would, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. And that's what the individual with leprosy did. He brought what he had, which was himself, his condition, and his brokenness and his pain. He brought all of that. The same stuff that you bring before God. The same stuff. Your brokenness, your condition, your pain. The same things. We know what Pastor Dan's family's gone through, right? We know. They've done the same thing. They've brought their brokenness, their pain to God. There are things that are going to happen in your life that only God can fix. Nobody else can fix. People can comfort you. People can encourage you. People can be there for you. But they can't fix it. Only God can fix it. And a lot of times God fixes it in ways that we might choose to have him fix it differently. Does that make sense? Because he's God. Now, point three, the man affected by leprosy had a humble attitude. 
In a portion of Matthew 8, 2, he says, Lord, if you are willing. He acknowledges that he's asking for healing, and he acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. He's also acknowledging here that Jesus is in control. He's not demanding anything. He's begging for it. So likely consider that this emotion in this man's voice, when he calls and says, if you are willing, basically he's saying, Lord, I took a risk. I've worshipped. I know there are no guarantees. But I really, truly, sincerely hope to my very guts and to the very core of my being that you are willing. He's crying out to God, Jesus, I can't make you do this. I don't even know if you will, but here I am. Please do it. Please. Nowhere else to go. Please. The man acknowledges that he's not in control. He's not exercising the name it, claim it garbage. You, ever, you heard the name it, claim it stuff, right? We just say it and God will do it. Um, I, I got news for you. God is not a five-cent vending machine that you put a nickel in and get a gumball out of. That's not how it works. Okay, God is God. We serve God. God doesn't exist to serve us. He isn't treating our Lord like this cosmic vending machine. He isn't treating God like he just has a command and he gets his gumball like he puts a a nickel in it. That's not what he's doing. The man is humble. And God honors humility. One of the primary problems that we as humans have is that many times we have a decided lack of humility. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.34, He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. Luke 14.11, the Bible says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Notice the word all. Not just, you know, if you're really nice, you might catch a break. God says everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. No, it's up to God the way he humbles us and the way he exalts us. Amen? It's up to God how he does that. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before God and he will lift you up. The man was humble. Another point is the man affected by leprosy had faith. In the last part of Matthew 8, 2, he says, you can make me clean. So what does the man know? The man knows he's in the presence of God. This is what he knows. The man knows Jesus can, if he is willing, heal him. He's already said that. He's acknowledged that. He knows that. He knows Jesus has the power. That's why he climbed over everything that he wasn't supposed to do and took the risk. Because he knows that Jesus can. He knows that Jesus is worthy of worship. He knows that to his core. He knows Jesus can fix him, can heal him. But he also knows he might not. There's no guarantee. There's no proscunio if he um, thought it was a done deal. There's none of that. He knows there are no guarantees, but 
but he has faith. He has faith that Jesus can. Because he doesn't want to have the leprosy. He doesn't want to be an outcast. He doesn't want to be feared. He doesn't want to be hated. He wants to be loved. And he wants to feel like he's a human again. That's what he wants. We hear a lot about faith. As Christians, we're told to have faith. You've heard it 10,000 times, right? Have faith, have faith, have faith, have faith. Why? Your pastor could probably preach for days on faith. It could be a massive sermon series in and of itself. It's all through Scripture. One thing I think we can say about faith is this. I think this is a really powerful point about faith. Why is faith so important? It's because I believe that God created the reality of this thing called faith as a bedrock that really indicates those that really love and serve God from those that really don't. Now that's an indicting statement because I feel all the time like I lack faith. I feel this all the time. Right? I mean, are you with me? Do you feel like a lot of times you feel like that you lack faith? That things happen and, and, you, and you know God exists and you want to believe things will be different, but your flesh and society around you and your humanity and your circumstances tell you that it won't be. And it attacks our faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those that earnestly seek him. So then there's that. God, I can't please you if I don't have faith, and I'm struggling in my faith. But this verse felt, spells out that we have to believe God exists, and he rewards those that earnestly seek him. And that gives me comfort because I do believe to my core that God exists. And I do really try to earnestly seek him. See, God says believing in him and believing what he will do, what he, that he'll do what he says he's going to do, is required to please God. This isn't a suggestion. The Bible says it. That believing in him and believing that he will do what he says he will do is a requirement to please God. That's what the verse says. It's not you should, it's you must as a believer. See, we don't exercise faith to somehow get God to give us something. We exercise faith because we know he can. And those are different. You might not get it, but you know he can. We know that Scripture teaches that God loves to bless individuals that are faithful and obedient. No, God blesses any way he chooses. Biggest blessing, the biggest blessing for me in my life would be that my son's disability would be eradicated. And I would trade my life this very second, drop dead right here in front of you, if God would take Jimmy's autism away. Because I know I'd be with Jesus, and Jimmy would no longer be suffering with this. That's not my choice. That's God's choice. But what I know is, 
God can because he's God. You see, if we don't trust God, if we don't have faith in God, we can't please God. It's impossible. After all, have any of you ever seen God? Have any of you ever, has God ever walked up to you and shook your hand and said, I'm God? You believe in God's very existence by faith. The man affected by leprosy knew Jesus could heal him, and he was evidencing this, and in this crucial moment, he was living out his faith. I remember, I remember when Jimmy was diagnosed with his disability. I remember crying out to God, why? Things like, why did it have to be him? Why didn't you just do it to me? I've lived longer, I can take it. Probably some of the th- same things that Dan's family went through and other people went through, have gone through. Why is this happening to my child? Why? God, take it away. And then God doing what God does, the way he does it, in the matter that he chooses. And sometimes we like that, and sometimes we don't. But God is God. I will tell you this regarding my son Jimmy. If God chose to take the disability away... I wouldn't be the same person. I wouldn't love God as much. I wouldn't love people as much. I wouldn't love a lot of things as much. God doesn't waste anything, amen? So I say this to say, God is pleased when we exercise faith. Now finally, the man affected by leprosy was healed Matthew 8, 3 says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. See, Jesus was willing and clearly Jesus was able. But here's one thing I really love about this. He didn't just pronounce his healing. In front of a bunch of people, what did he do? He touched him. Again, he touched him. So remember, this man had this thing called leprosy, and he's touching him, okay? So can we, let's just be real, can we, can we just be real for a minute? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise my hand, because I would be in this camp here. How many of us would be totally freaked out if someone affected by leprosy came up to us, cried out for help, touched us and began to kiss and slobber all over us and beg for help. I would be freaked, right? I'd be completely freaked out. Right? Most of us wouldn't want to be anywhere near him because we would be afraid. We'd be afraid that we would get it, that we would suffer the same loss. And we need to understand this type of fear can lead us to segregating or even hating people that are different than us. Oh, somehow this group is going to affect me or infect me. And I don't want any part of that. So we're going to segregate people. 
Because we don't want to be near these people. This is for us, not them. They're somehow less. They're different. They don't need it as much as we do. And there's fear and segregation. And scripture says that Jesus didn't recoil at all. It doesn't even mention he recoiled. In fact, he just reached out and touched him and he showed that this this man, this act of love to this man, that he valued him and this man was a human being. That he was worthy of touch. And you know what else Jesus was demonstrating in front of all these people? The same thing. So, can you imagine, and we don't know, for how many months or years this man may have lived without a touch from anyone? Don't know how long it is. Scripture doesn't say. See, Jesus not only healed the disease... Jesus let this man know that he was worthy of love and respect. And while the physical healing evidences the miraculous and provides evidence that Jesus is God and he is in control of all things, don't lose sight of the fact that the way he healed him evidences more. It evidences a loving, compassionate God and it evidences how we should treat others in need. It evidences how we should treat others that are hurting, and it evidences how we should treat others that are different from us. Period. That's what it evidences. So in closing, I'd like you to hear this. If you've been saved by placing your faith and trust in Jesus, you know that God loves you and accepts you. You know that. In spite of your faults, in spite of your imperfections, in spite of your biases, in spite of all the stuff you've done and the stuff you still struggle with, you know that God loves you and accepts you. No, God, God does not, God loves us too much to leave us like we are. He wants us to be like Jesus, right? So he's going to continue to work on you and it's probably going to be painful in some ways. But God has taken the sin in your life, much like the leprosy that affected the man we talked about, and he washes it away. And like the man that is no longer separated from society, accepting Jesus means that we we are no longer separated from God. And like this man affected by leprosy, Jesus is our only cure. So I would say this to you today. If you know Jesus... Thank him for the gift of salvation and for the change in your life. If you don't know Jesus, ask him to come into your heart and reside in your life and get to know him because he loves you. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for its truth. Father, I pray that if anyone here doesn't know Jesus, they would make that commitment today. Father, I pray for the folks that do know Jesus, that they would recommit their life to Christ if there's something standing in the way of them and God that they know is keeping them from being all that they can be. Father, finally, I pray for everyone here. Father, if there's something in their life that's holding them back, if there's something, if there's some need in their life, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, whatever, that they would approach Jesus with the same boldness and passion that this individual affected by leprosy did and that they would know 
that God, if you are willing, you can make them clean. In Jesus' name, amen.